If you want to be a next level sport climber or big wall climber, you have to be able to boulder at a high level. Because basically when it comes down to it, if you want to climb hard routes, you have to be able to do hard moves and hard moves are found on hard boulders. Hey y'all, I'm Ryan Devlin and welcome to the Struggle Climbing Show where I talk with elite climbers about their struggles and breakthroughs in training, nutrition, tactics, and mental game, and also what they're passionate about beyond the fight with gravity. Now I'm coming at you today with some struggle gold as our buddy Alex Honnold is back on the pod to look at climbing and training predominantly through the lens of bouldering, something that is admittedly a bit of a struggle for him, but we do not stop there. Alex and I dive into his recent trip to Font, how to project a highball boulder, what sport climbers and big wall climbers can learn from the bouldering community, and so much more, including Alex taking some playful pot shots at how gripped Daniel Woods gets when he's on high top outs. Also, oh my gosh, if that wasn't enough, y'all, if you are a patron or a subscriber of The Struggle, hi, I love you, we have some extended bonus content for you at the end of this episode where Alex shares his side of the viral video free solo adventure that he did with Magnus Mitbo. Holy smokes, I was pretty blown away by what he shared here. My palms were sweating just listening to his side of this story. And you'll also hear Alex try to then talk me into going soloing with him. See how that goes. And also his opinion on where soloing stacks up when compared to other things like riding a motorcycle or chasing tornadoes. We had such a good time with this chat. I think y'all are really going to enjoy it. This episode is in collaboration with the amazing team over at Climbing Gold, a podcast which Alex, of course, hosts and which is produced by Fitz Cahal and the fantastic team over at Duct Tape Then Beer. I have been a loyal listener and a huge fan of this show since it came out, and I never miss an episode. I am super grateful for this chance to collaborate with them, and I'm really excited for y'all to hear their latest episode, Not So Mellow, which will play directly after my chat here with Alex. So this is a twofer for y'all. The official climbing nutrition sponsor of The Struggle is Fizzy Vantage. Y'all, I use their amazing science-backed performance-enhancing products, and they have really helped me to train harder, to recover faster, and to climb better than I ever have before. I can say that truly and honestly. Right now, I'm digging into a training block, which means I am pushing my body pretty darn hard. So I'm starting my day every day with their supercharged collagen to keep my fingers strong and injury-free. And then I get myself a boost with Crush, which is like a jitter-free focus and energy supplement that really helps me to try hard when I'm hitting the moon board or those boulder sets. If you're looking to level up your training and performance, give Fizzy Vantage a shot. I know you will feel the difference just like I have. I've been a paying customer for years, so this isn't just some empty sponsorship thing. The science supports the results, and I'm a big fan of what they're doing. You can find Fizzy Vantage in the U.S. at select gyms and at fizzyvantage.com, and in Europe, pop over to the Epic TV or Banana Fingers online shops. Hit that link in your show notes or use code STRUGGLE15 at checkout for 15% off. This episode is also sponsored by patrons and subscribers of the show. If that is you, thank you, I love you. You get access to the extended version of this interview with Alex, my ongoing series of coach chats with Tom Randall, our growing library of pro clinics, which feature the best climbers and coaches in the game from Dr. Tyler Nelson to Alex Johnson to Drew Mack, 
to ravioli biceps. We got more coming up here. And of course, as always, early and ad-free episodes. Plus, you're going to get that happy feeling of knowing that you're helping me to keep the lights on over here in the podcast slash utility closet. So simply pop on over to patreon.com slash the struggle climbing show to check out the levels that we offer. You can cancel anytime. Or if you're listening on Apple, you can subscribe right there in your podcast player. Thanks so much. All right, y'all, let's trade big walls for big falls in this not-so-mellow chat with Alex Honnold. All right, how you doing, man? It's good to see you. I, I, sounds like uh, June just woke up from a nap back there how's she doing is, is she uh climbing you get her out climbing yet uh well june june has climbed a ladder i mean she's like yeah she's considering she barely walks i think she's doing pretty well yeah yeah you, uh, i sometimes see these pictures you know little videos of these like baby babies you know less than two years old like going up rock walls um mm -hmm. my daughter's five though and she she does rage the strength to weight ratio is is very advantageous for this five-year-old girl. I'll tell you, she can like dead hang hmm. from a bar for like three minutes. It's crazy. She's just like, I'm waiting for her to drop and she just never does. It's good fun, man. Hmm. I'll be there soon. So it's good to see you, dude. I appreciate you um, taking the time to reconnect here. We're teeing up the Mellow episode, um, which I listened to and is fantastic. I, I found that really interesting. I haven't, I haven't listened to the final yet. I kind of want to because I'm getting a bunch of texts about it. But, uh, you know, the interview obviously was super fun, but I'm not sure how it all got cut together. It's a good edit. It's fun. Did they keep ma me making fun of Daniel's neck tattoo in the final edit? Yeah. yeah. It's so good. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> it's so good. And he, like, kind of got, like, a little self-conscious and defensive for a second. And then he was like, no, man, I'm a fucking role model. And like, I'm like, oh, that's good. Good. Own it. Yeah. I was waiting for him to be like, more people should have neck tattoos. But I just don't know how, how well that would go over. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah it was it was a really good uh interview you guys like all your personalities i thought really interacted very well and so we're going to share that full episode after you and i chat here for a little bit about any number of things i got a whole list uh to kind of tick through here and then some of this will be well all of it will be going on the podcast um we'll do some bonus content for some patrons and then also i'm going to be using like clips or, or little snippets for youtube because I, I launched uh youtube recently and it's just like taken off as this as this cool big thing. And so a lot of times I'll, I'll use parts of these interviews for that or, or do special clips for that. I don't think I'm going to be going like the Magnus route, you know, any too soon, like uh, uh, dressing up like an old guy and, and going to the gym and getting like reaction shots of people. But you, you might be uh, you might be more convincing than Magnus, though. People would be like, yeah, that old guy's going to hurt himself. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Like, yeah, it makes sense. That old guy's flailing on that V3 over there. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Looks like he maxes out about V5 anyway. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, it's, it's like, like <laughs> just, just me playing me, uh, yeah. just getting shut down on the moon board on the easiest, uh, warm up problems. Yeah. You being like, does this thing adjust to 15 degrees? Can we, can we kick this thing back a little bit? Oh, where's the jug? Isn't there yeah. supposed to be a jug in the middle to rest on? And yeah, uh, it's so good. I know. I really wish there was too. Good. Well, we'll talk about bouldering today because that's kind of the the focus here. Um, the the last time I saw you, I was actually obviously we were we were climbing. We went out to the Clearlight Cave, and and I was flailing up the twelve A that I just <laughs> will never send probably. And well, you keep trying it, uh, keep trying it twice a year and see how long it takes. You know, I mean that's that's the problem with projecting when you only come out 
once a year. Um, or at least like when I'm trying to climb limit on limestone caves when I'm used to sandstone, you know, um, jug halls at, at the red. But it was still a great time and, and uh, I had a blast hanging out with you and the gang as always. But you were just about to leave for Font and go on this bouldering trip. We're going to be talking about Mellow today and some bouldering. And so I think that's a good way to kind of kick off this conversation, at least, is to get a, a kind of a mini recap of what a bouldering trip for you kind of goes and, and like, what are your goals? It was good. I mean, this particular bouldering trip to Font was actually, it wasn't really like a bouldering trip where we train for the trip ahead of time and then you go there with objectives. It was more like we just moved to France and then just lived there for six weeks with the family and just, you know, hung out and climbed as much as we could. And so I'd actually been exclusively sport climbing ahead of time. And I'd been on a mountain climbing expedition in Antarctica two months before. So I'd sort of had to rebuild myself back into shape anyway. And so I wasn't really in particularly good bouldering shape when we got there. But then, you know, we just moved to Font and spent many weeks getting into it and learning the style and having a good time. I mean, my goal for the trip was to climb at least V10. Like, I, I haven't even bouldered outside in, in quite a while. And so I hadn't bouldered double digits in in. I don't know, like a couple of years, maybe like it'd been a minute. So I just wanted to know that I could still boulder double digits. And, uh, and, you know, I did on the trip and, and that was fine. And so I was like, cool, you know, I can still boulder a little, but mostly it was just like family lifestyle trip, you know, like playing with the kids in the forest and, and climbing as much as we can. Yeah. Cool. So did you, did you get the V10? Uh, yeah, I did this thing that was supposedly V12 that's like really tall, like a highball. And then I did, you know, obviously a handful of other tens and 11s and things, but, uh, and then tried some other things that felt probably felt fine, but we didn't go back to. You know, we were there with a group, and so it was very much like go to whatever crag works for everybody. So I yeah. wasn't really projecting, and I wasn't returning to things much. But uh, but yeah, we had a great time. And I think in general, but I was climbing, you know, like V7 to V8, V9 quickly enough that you could do a bunch of cool new problems every day and have a nice time. Nice. The, the V12, was that the one I saw Tommy post a little video where he was like TRing kind of a highball? Was, yeah. Was that? Yeah. Yeah, it's called yeah. Uh, La Merveille. It's like the the Marvel. It's uh, this incredibly large boulder that, well, so Tommy was recovering from an Achilles injury. And so right, he right. was looking for really big things to top rope so that he could try at his limit, but not worry about falling and re-rupturing his Achilles. And so it meant that the two of us went out a handful of days together top roping. Which I actually thought was quite fun because I'm kind of like, you know, for the really tall things, like, why not work it? I mean, I think if you're a true boulder that maybe that's poor style to working on a rope first. Maybe maybe nobody cares about that kind of thing anymore. But I know some of my more old school friends think that's poor style. But I kind of felt like if you're out supporting your friend with an Achilles injury, like, who cares? You know, and neither of us are that stressed. You're like, in the grand scheme of the stuff that we like to climb, like top rope in a 25 foot boulder, it's like, it's it's fine. It's like, it's just not that big a deal. Yeah, but it did make it, it did make it a lot easier to uh, to climb the the roots or the boulders, you know, like because you figured well, out on a rope. I mean, for sure. And I think that's like projecting any kind of limit type climb or near limit climb. Um, I think it makes like when I'm at the red, I'll I'll either stick clip or, you know, set up a TR so I can work sections without like taking big falls or getting gassed out trying to like pull myself back up the rope. You put up the first ascent on too big to flail, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a that's a monster highball. Was that did you work that on a rope prior to climbing? Yeah, I worked that on that one is uh that would be out of the question to work it uh without a rope. I I don't know. Then nowadays maybe some people have done it ground up. I, I don't know if anyone's done it ground up. It'd be pretty crazy. The thing about that problem is that you need so many pads to make it even reasonably safe that and, and you have to carry the pads so far to get there that you kind of only want to do all that work once when you know you're gonna do it. 
because you can work on it by yourself super easily by hiking out there with a 40 foot piece of rope and then just spending the day. But to hike, you know, 20 big pads out there, you have to rally all your friends. You need spotters. It's super stressful. You know, it's like, it just doesn't really make sense in the, in the grand scheme of human effort. You're like, why, why go through all that? If you don't even know if you can climb it. Right. Right. Do the pads at that point even make that much of a difference? Do you think how many pads can you stack underneath something where it's like, what's the point when you're 40 feet up? Maybe it does. Like it'll, no, it matters. Your ankles. Yeah. 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 It matters. I think there's really no height at which pads don't help, you know, because even if you were free soloing and you fell off a sport roof from 65 feet, I mean, landing on a couple of stacked pads is a lot better than landing on a rock. You know, it's like, yeah, you might still be grievously injured, but you're going to be less injured than you would have been. I don't know. I think pads and spotters, I mean, people joke like, what's the point if you're 30 feet up? But, you know, spotters can still kind of make sure that you don't fly off the pads and crack your head on a rock. They can still kind of like once you impact, they can make sure you don't get further injured by rolling down a hill. I don't know. I mean, pads and spotters are always helpful, but it is true that once you get high enough, they're a lot less helpful. Yeah, I mean, the, there's still a point of no a point of no return. Which... With most boulders, though, like uh, so with too big to flail specifically, the physical hardest crux is only 10 or 15 feet off the ground. And so at that point, you can fall on this totally normal bouldering. And then there's kind of this red point crux that's at like 20 feet. I'm kind of remembering, I, you know, I don't know if I remember correctly, but it's like, say, 20 or 25 feet. And that one is high enough that if you fell... You'd probably be fine, but it's like pretty scary. You don't want to fall. And then there's exit climbing going to the top, which is easier. But if you fell, it'd probably be pretty serious, even with pads. But so the breakdown is that at all the places where you're most likely to fall, the pads definitely would help. But then, yeah, if you botch the top out, it's still pretty serious. When I see videos of that, like you or like um, Nina or, you know, like it's 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 kind of hard to fathom. But I think to your point about kind of getting to getting to a, a level of comfortability i mean at that point in time it's it's a free solo i mean you're doing a pitch it's it's a pitch of soloing essentially and so if you feel that it's well rehearsed if you feel confident then the the likelihood of botching the top out is going to be incredibly low right i mean what is that like v2 type climbing up there or something yeah or like v3 or maybe even v4 but it's uh you know but if you consider that as like a five like a 12a exit to a 13d pitch you're like well that's pretty chill by comparison to what you've been doing Right. But, yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know, all highball bouldering is basically evaluating risk. Like, where do you think you're most likely to fall off? And what will the consequences be if you do fall off? And so you just have to choose your own adventure. Yeah, I like it. Well, this is this is a, a great opportunity for us to talk about kind of the bouldering world here. And um, you, you have this fantastic episode of Climbing Gold with the Mellow guys. And it is it does feel like a little bit like a, a different world. You know, it's more of like a skate culture. You had this quote that I don't know if it was you or Fitz who who said this. You said, old people worry about the soul of our sport. Young people are just out there living it. And I'm curious, does Mellow kind of exemplify the bouldering world or are they their own thing, like their own subculture within bouldering? What's your take on this whole kind of the, the bouldering as a sport, but also kind of what Mellow represents? I think Mellow represents a little bit of its own, its own thing within the bouldering world. I mean, I, th- I think there are a lot of boulders who are like mellow, you know, who like want to listen to hip hop on their, on their speakers while they're sessioning really hard limit boulders, you know, with their fans going and and all that kind of stuff. And you're just like super modern, like new school bouldering. Uh, That said, I mean, you wonder how much of that is because all those people have grown up watching mellow videos and they're like, that's cool. Or, you know, been into mellow. I mean, cause it's crazy. Mellow's only existed for several years. And so it's not like anyone like grown up watching Mellow, but it's I think it's been pretty influential over the last several years. 
And so is it the logical extension of like the dosage films, do you think? Yeah, totally. I mean, I basically yeah. think that that Mellow is is the new version of the dosage films and sort of the hipper, like cooler version in a way. But right. I mean, Mellow is basically what the film Rampage was in, in the late 90s or whenever Rampage came out on VHS. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. and at the time it was so cool. Like, yeah. And, and now Mellow is the same thing, but just much more fresh. When you look at that, because you're you're in that world, but you're kind of alongside of it. There's a little bit of an over overlap in the Venn diagram because you hang out with some of these people and you cross paths with them. But you tend not to spend a ton of time putting up like cutting edge boulders. Um, well, that's because I can't. Well, not really. I put up a couple highballs, but I've never put up a cutting edge boulder because I'm so far from the cutting edge that I, you know I just I can't pull that hard. It's like I just can't. You know. Well, who who is who are the boulderers to watch right now? Do you think? Well, the Mellow Crew is definitely the cutting edge of bouldering. And then there are a handful of folks in the UK. I mean, you have like Aiden Roberts and Will Bosey. Uh, I don't know. I think that's how you say his name. Bosey? Bosey? I don't, uh, I don't know if it's Bosey or Bosey. Uh, it's it's hard because he's got a let's just, British let's just accent. Call him, so. Let's call him Strong Will. We'll just say yeah. Aiden Roberts and Strong Will. Um, that's great. You know, and then obviously you have all the hardcore Euros. I mean, there are tons of strong boulders. But some of the the superstar folks come to mind. I mean, obviously, Adam Andra has climbed some of the hardest boulders in the world, even though he doesn't consider himself a boulder necessarily. Uh, you know, and you have like Alex Vegas, who, again, doesn't consider himself a boulder necessarily, but has certainly is, is certainly capable of doing the hardest boulders in the world. I don't, and then and then you have all the like actual boulders who I don't know as well, because, uh, you know, I don't embarrass myself by just throwing out random names. But. Well, this this you know episode in in particular of climbing gold focused on on mellow, and so you were you were talking with um, Carlo and Daniel, and then Sean was represented. Um, no, it as... wasn't Carlo's uh, Giuliano. Oh, I'm sorry, Giuliano. That's right. I, I misspoke earlier yeah. too when I said Carlo. Um, yeah, yeah, Giuliano Camerano. Yeah, I was thinking Carlo, who's also a fantastic. Yeah, exactly, strong exactly. Well, I know that's what's confusing because it's like all the guys are friends; they all climb together. It's all the same stuff, and then you're like. Be like, which one of them is actually making the movie and like doing the thing? Yeah, it's it's hard to keep track of. Right, and and it's but, it is like a really a group thing. It's a team thing. It's very cool. Um, it surprised me. It came out in this in this interview that people will will hear that that Sean is this kind of the CEO of of Mel. Um, which is, I know I was shocked by that. I was like, how could Sean possibly be running anything? Well, it just <laughs> like, it just struck me. What struck me as funny is that there's actually a CEO of Mellow. I don't know, like it just. <laughs> There's like somebody in a suit that's like running mellow, but like it's because it kind of seems like it's this underground thing where people are just submitting videos, which it probably is for the most. Yeah, part. it is. It is for sure. I mean, I love mellow videos, but like when you look at the mellow YouTube, I mean, most of their best videos don't really have that many views compared to any of the sort of clickbaity climbing content that you can find online. And to me, that basically that that shows that mellow is not optimizing any of their anything. I mean, they're just too busy sending and putting out videos, but there's there's definitely no corporate overlord like maximizing their revenue through ad stuff because you know i mean they're putting out some of the best climbing content available anywhere and not that many people see it overall and you're like man there's so many other climbing platforms that just aren't that good they get so many views and you're kind of like come on really like that stuff is just trash compared to mellow yeah and it, do it doesn't strike me that the mellow guys even give a shit like to your point they're just mm -hmm. out there sending and they're collecting the best stuff. And so they care a little bit, but maybe don't care enough to like make it even fully realize its potential. I think maybe part of that, and, and now I'm just totally speculating, but I think part of that might be because each of the guys involved in Mellow is sponsored individually on their own. And so they're already professional climbers. And so their focus is climbing the hardest things in the world, 
and sort of making a living through their sponsors. And they're definitely not trying to be YouTube stars in any way or, or you know, sell anything on YouTube. They're just putting the content out there because because it's cool, like because they're doing really hard stuff and they want to share it. And, you know, I, I mean, I think that sets them in contrast to to other sorts of YouTube influencer sort of folk who aren't necessarily professional climbers and are just like looking for a way to make a living through climbing. And then I think people are more into like pushing their content really hard because, you know, like they, they make a nickel for every ad or whatever. And like they're they're trying to make a living. I don't know. I just think the mellow guys just don't care about that kind of stuff because, you know, they're already getting their free clothes and they're sending the hardest things in the world. And they're like, whatever. Like we're in Switzerland right. drinking wine. Who gives a shit? You know, you're like, I don't know. It, do, it does literally seem like 80% of the year they're in Switzerland drinking wine. Yeah, exactly. I know. When it's all said and done, their biggest injuries are all going to be like cirrhosis of the liver and things and not not all the split tips and like skin issues. It's going to be like liver failure. But that that is something that kind of separates the boulders from big wall and sport climbers. And earlier you said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not the strongest in, in bouldering. And it seems like it's a very unique kind of skill set. It's very, you know, short, super powerful, um, fast twitch. It's the sprinter of the track world um or maybe just like the long jumper or something like that of the track world as opposed to kind of the distance runner which on these link ups and big walls and things that you do it's it's a a slightly different or maybe a significantly different kind of energy system and physiology and I, i wonder if you think much about what sport climbers or big wall climbers can gain from what the boulders are doing really well and and vice versa or are they very siloed I don't know. I mean, I would say that the cultures are a little bit siloed in that in that the people all just hang out doing their own things. It's like it's just different scenes. Uh, but in terms of climbing movement, you know, like if you want to be a next level sport climber or big wall climber, you have to be able to boulder at a high level. Because basically when it comes down to it, if you want to climb hard routes, you have to be able to do hard moves and hard moves are found on hard boulders. You know, so it's like if you want to climb the hardest routes in the world, you have to be able to boulder at a high level. I mean, that's and that's all there is to it. And so that's the same with big walls. You know, as you get into harder walls, you start having to do more and more, you know, futuristic moves where like crazy down dinos and like weird paddles and jumps and like just crazy tricky things. You know, like climbing 512 cracks is just not going to get you to the top of a cutting edge big wall anymore. You know, it's like now they're big blank sections and like weird transitions between corners and, you know, like tricky wreck climbing and just, you know, it's just more varied. So I think... If you're trying to be elite at any discipline in climbing, you have to be at least an okay boulder because you have to be able to do hard moves. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense when you look at even like Tommy and Kevin on the Dawn Wall and Kevin coming from a strong bouldering background and these kinds of things as they were picking, doing the the Dino Traverse, which of course Tommy, Tommy famously kind of down climbed and found mm-hmm. like a, a circuitous path around and used his problem solving in that way. But, but that does make a lot of sense. And obviously, Adam Andra, super strong boulderer, putting up incredible cutting edge sport routes. Does it work the other way, do you think? Can can boulderers benefit from some of the skills that you and other big wall climbers or strong sport climbers, you know, the Seagrists of the world and, and these folks, um, d- does it, is it a one-way street, do you think? Bouldering helps longer climbing or can these longer climbs benefit boulders anyway? I think for the most part, it's a one-way street where you go from bouldering, you start at being able to do really hard moves, and then you can translate that ability into other aspects of climbing. I mean, you know, it's true that some of the skills that you can learn on a big wall, you could apply them to bouldering a little bit in that, 
you know, in general, and this is major generalizations, but big wall climbing, you're often more comfortable on your feet and you're a better slab climber than most boulders are. And that occasionally can come in handy with, with bouldering. Or, I mean, I'm thinking specifically of, uh, there have been a few routes that like Daniel Woods has climbed some of the hardest boulders in the world. And he basically gets to the top of the problem and then has to do 20 feet of slab climbing, like exit climbing to get to the actual top of the boulder. And it looks like he's going to shit himself and he's going to die up there. And you're kind of like, come on, Daniel, you're doing the hardest thing in the world. And then you can't do the like VB exit slab. Like, I mean, I know it's scary, but it shouldn't be that scary compared to the literally the hardest moves that have ever been done on rock that you just did. You know, it's like so there are a lot of things like that where, you know, you could gain some skills from other aspects of climbing. But in general, if you can do the hardest moves on on boulders, you don't have that much to learn by going trad climbing. You know, it's like, yeah. yeah, you might be able to improve your technique a little, your footwork a little bit. But in theory, you could learn all those things th- just through bouldering as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about that shot of him on Return to the Sleepwalker and he pulls all the hardest moves and he gets onto that kind of slabby top out and he's like calling for chalk bags and he's standing and it's like he speeds up the film and it's like 10 minutes of where he's where he's yeah. basically on this on this slab. Yeah, top so off. Or you look at the ones at the buttermilks are kind of similar, right? Like you, you climb exactly. like super hard shit and then it's like. But it's still like heady, right? It's no, it's not heady. That's the thing is like, so I've done that top out to return to the sleepwalker thing because uh, there's like a V6, like an older problem where you like jump start to this kind of jug to the left of that. You basically top out that same part of the boulder. And uh, and it's funny because the V6, I was like, oh, this is kind of hard, you know, <laughs> that you, you traverse it. But basically, as soon as you stand up there, like in my tennis shoes, I would feel comfortable just walking up that slab because you're like, oh, this is just like the approach to something like this is totally normal, totally chill. And then you watch right. the world's best boulders like shitting themselves on it. You're kind of like, come on. Like, but that said, they haven't had that exposure though. No, but I think the important thing to bear in mind here is that, that, you know, I can make fun of him. I can tease Daniel for being bad on the exit climbing. But the thing is, is that with someone throwing him a chalk bag and him slowing down his breathing and spending 10 minutes, like he can figure it out and get through it. But with no amount of effort, can I, could I get through the bottom moves of Return of Sleepwalker? You know, it's like, it's not like somebody giving me a chalk bag is going to suddenly allow me to do the hardest moves on rock. And so I think that's the important thing to keep in mind is that like Daniel doesn't really need those other skills, like, cause he can still climb the, the hardest things in the world and, and no amount of like good technique or like tricky know-how is going to get me up those moves. Like that's the thing is at a certain level, like having the strength to, to pull hard moves is, is more important than anything else. Yeah. I think that's, uniquely when i see these videos is that the 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 amount of tension and pressure uh that that those athletes are able to put on the tiniest holds sean is is another great example of that when when he's climbing it almost looks easy but like is just able to dig in with his toes and his fingers on these things it really blows my mind and i like that I, i appreciate that perspective that you just shared there we're talking about mellow here and and necessarily kind of part of that is filming everything that's done, right? Boulderers are able to, as opposed to maybe a certainly a big wall where you mostly need to have a film crew out with you if you want to try to film the thing. Otherwise, it would be from so far away. Um, boulders, you can set up an iPhone and you can film every attempt and then just throw them away or or mm-hmm. learn from them. But we're now, I'm wondering if now we're at this point in our culture that if it wasn't filmed, was it sent? You know, like, does it even count if if there isn't the film of it anymore? Yeah, I, I think I think it still counts. I mean, I think that kind of stuff depends a little bit on the person and the reputation and the specifics of it. But um, but I do think that like if any one of the mellow bouldering crew, uh, you know, claimed some hard boulder but just didn't have a video of it, 
I mean, people would take them at their word, you know, like they've established many of the hardest boulders in the world. Like they, they certainly can do that. But if somebody comes out of the blue and then claims things that, that, you know, are hard to verify, then you'd be like, okay, a little bit more skeptical maybe. But I mean, in general, there's so much of climbing that, that just requires taking people at their word. Because I mean, the thing is, even if there is footage, like, is it edited? You know, like, I mean, if somebody really cares, they can fake footage of an ascent. And certainly most things that you see in climbing media are edited. I mean, generally people cut in a different top out or whatever, just because they have to change camera angles or like change positions or, or the camera, you know, whatever the camera guy puts down the camera because he's spotting for a minute. And then later they shoot the top out of the separate thing. You know, it's like, I mean, and Mello, uh, Mello aspires to sort of uncut footage of the sends, which is great. And I think it's one of the things that makes the video so good, but you know, I mean, I've shot a lot of climbing films and, and very few of them are pure raw uncut footage. Like in general, you're just up there getting shots and then piecing it all together later in, in post-production. So yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think, I think there's room for, for everything. You know, it's like you just take people at their word. But I, but I agree with you that bouldering has a higher standard than other types of climbing just because there are always a bunch of people there and they all have phones on them, which double as video cameras. So there's a, it's hard to imagine why somebody wouldn't film if something's one of the hardest things ever done. Yeah. And especially now, exactly to the point of it's, it's easy to do, but also, um, it's become an outlet. It's become a way for people to be able to make money and, and take care of their sponsors and these kinds of things. So I think for the most part, everything's going to be filmed. Um, if it's easy to be filmed, did, did you talk with the mellow guys at all about where they see bouldering going, like where they see the top end? I mean, we're just seeing like more and more insane stuff go up. Uh, do you have a sense for what the like what we could see over the next few years with even stronger climbers coming up? You touched a little bit. I think it was maybe um, Juliana who brought up like the comp climbers who are taking comp style like mm. paddle dyno, really kind of mm -hmm. parkour, parkour style stuff. Um, he was talking about women who are climbing as hard as they were, or maybe you know pushing the limits to to where the limits currently are. And I didn't hear, but it may have gotten edited out. Like, where do we think this sport's going? Where Where is bouldering? Where Where is its top limit? I'm, I can't remember how much we talked about that. I mean, that's an obvious question. I'm sure we must have, have talked about it. But I don't know. I mean, I just think there's no, it, it just carries on in the same trajectory. You know, it's like every couple of years, you notch it up another grade or two. I mean, you're kind of seeing right now with with the different V17, the different proposed V17s in the world, and and many of the V16s in the world, they're basically, you know, like a two move V14 start into an existing V15, or you know, things like that. You're basically just adding more hard moves, and it seems like humans are capable of that kind of thing. You know, like it's happening; people are doing them, and so it doesn't seem out of the question to imagine a V18 or V19 where you just like keep adding more hard moves or slightly harder moves. You know, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. But like Return of the Sleepwalker, you know, Daniel's V17 sit. It's like you could conceivably start further down the boulder, like down where Wet Dream starts, these other classic problems that, that go out the other direction. You know, it's like start down there and like quest into it. Like, I don't know if there are holes in between, but, you know, you can imagine just making more of it. I mean, that would certainly be harder. Whether or not it changes the grade that much, you know, we'll see. Longer, uh, more sustained, difficult climbs as opposed to harder single moves well but i mean i'm sure there'll be harder single moves though too because i mean i remember when v14 and v15 were the hardest things in the world 
And now finding single or, you know, like three or four movie 15s, it's not like that uncommon. So if you had a three movie 15 sit into an existing V15 stand, you're like, well, it's got to be pretty freaking hard. Like, I, I mean, I don't know anything about it, but I can't even can't even really fathom it. But I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I just remember like growing up, like V12 and V13 were sort of the most cutting edge grades in the world. And, you know, V14 was insane. And now you're kind of like, oh, people routinely add, you know, V14s into other things. And, yeah. and more importantly, you're finding those kinds of things on routes now, you know, like on, on sport climbs. So it's like, oh, there's a V14 crux. And you're like, really? Like, that's pretty, that's pretty hard. <laughs> like, geez. Like, that's unbelievable. I, I think Chris Sharma was talking about Sleeping Lion and, and there might have been like a V14 section in there um, in part of, he was trying to break it down into kind of like, what are the boulder problems of it, which is always a, it's obviously all kind of subjective anyway, but. Yeah, that stuff is interesting because when you break it down, it's like, well, how long of a section do you mean? Because, you know, if you're doing a move by move, you're like, each move is V6 or V7. But then if you do an eight move section, you're like, mm, now it's up to like V11, you know, or V9 or whatever. Right. I've, I've been I've been recently working on a couple of routes that are kind of like that, where if you're like if you're just counting from one bolt to another bolt, then you're like, oh, I don't know, it's probably like V7 ish or more. But when you start to add a couple together, you're like, well, no, it's definitely harder than the V7. You're like, I don't know. It's pretty hard. And you're breaking that into rest. Like, where do you get like a good knee bar and a good jug or something? Well, no, like no, that? no. That's what I'm saying is there's no rest. You're just like arbitrarily choosing spots. Like, oh, you know? gotcha. So that's the thing is that then if you're just counting it as one continuous section, you're like, well, there's no stance in between any of these things. So it's really more like a V10 or something. Right. That boggles my mind. Well, dude, I'm, I'm really excited to uh, dig into this um, this Climbing Gold episode that you had with the Mellow guys. So um, let's roll that right now. Alex, thank you for teeing this up and thanks for joining me. I appreciated the commentary. No, my pleasure. I'm looking forward to listening to the final. <laughs> All right, y'all, that wraps things up with me and Alex, and we're now about to roll into a truly fantastic, insightful, and pretty damn funny episode of Climbing Gold with the Mellow Guys. And remember, if you are a patron or a subscriber here of The Struggle, stick around after Climbing Gold for some bonus content where Alex shares his side of the story from when he took Magnus Mitbo up on that epic 700-foot free solo climb, and then he tries to convince me to do the same. So, yeah, let's see how that goes patrons i really appreciate you if you're not a patron or a subscriber you can easily join right now you can just double click in your apple podcast player or pop over to patreon.com slash the struggle climbing show to check it all out all right huge thanks to alex really appreciated the conversation buddy and let's roll into this climbing gold episode it is my favorite one of the season so far hope you all enjoy it yeah okay i'm now recording Got it. Okay, so are we just going to watch this video? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just hit play. We are watching Sean Rabatou flashing Spectre uncut. Who I know. Who flashes Spectre? You're like, oh my God. I know, it's so crazy. I know, I mean, I've, I actually haven't even tried this, but I've touched the holes and just been like, no, that doesn't go. Oh, yep, there he goes. He just did the crux. He's just hanging one-handed, no problem. Yes! Oh, all the paths just blew away. <laughs> Literally everybody just running across the hillside. He's just... There goes Danny Woods running downhill trying to grab a pad. Everybody's like full anarchy. Sean's just calm as a cucumber hanging there. On the lip of this giant boulder just waiting to go to the top. I, I love it. Yeah, Mellow videos I get so fired up. It's like they're, they're so fun. 
I'm curious, like, whether you've, how many times you've heard the word authentic, you know, when you, when you sit down to talk about TV shows or films or, it's just such a funny word because, like, I remember, you know, the period 10 years ago of just, like, meeting with companies or doing, like, we want to do something authentic. It was, like, almost, if they use that word a lot, you're, like, I'm pretty sure it's not going to be authentic in the end. Yeah, I, I hate the term authentic. Anytime people start <laughs> yeah. throwing around the word authentic, you know that it's just not real. So I'm like, if it's real, you don't have to say that it's real all the time. Just yeah. do the thing. It's so annoying. I feel like that's what Mello is kind of doing, is like, not to use that word, but what they're doing is the real thing. Yeah, what, what you see is, is what's happening. Like, yep. it's just uncut, raw footage of them doing the hardest things in the world. It's like, you can hear random music in the background, you can hear people chit-chatting, and then as soon as somebody sticks the crux move, everyone springs into action. They're like, oh my God, we should probably spot a little bit, or like move the pads, <laughs> or do whatever. You know, it's like, I mean, a lot of the Mellow videos, you're like, oh, this is just a slice of a real bouldering, uh, a, a real day out. You know, you feel like you're just hanging with your friends at the boulders, and then you're like, oh my God, he stuck it, everybody, yeah. get ready, he's doing it. You know, it's like, it's cool. We certainly have, like, discussed it, but, like, I think old people sometimes worry about the soul of the sport, right? And we have certainly, like, discussed this, like, where's it going? Like, what do we lose as we grow? And, you know, all those things. And I watch a Mellow video, and I say to myself, I think the sport's just fine. Old people worry about the soul of the sport, and young people just live it. No, I, I, I totally agree with that. It's like, for anyone sitting in their armchair worrying about, you know, what's become of climbing or what's happening. It's like the people that are out doing it all the time are not worrying about that kind of thing because they're too busy doing it. Like you, you definitely don't feel like the Mellow crew is pandering for likes or views or anything. You know, it's like they just, it just feels like they do not care. I was going to say they're made for the core audience, but they're not even made for the core audience. They're, they're just made, they're almost just made for their own sake. They're just documenting the hardest things that have ever been bouldered. It's like, it's like they're not even trying to sell them to anybody or show them to anybody. They're just making cool, you know, they're like, here's what we did. Now it's on the internet. If you don't want to watch it, you can go F yourself. You know, it's like they're very unapologetically just, they're just their own thing. Who are we talking to today? Today we talk with two of the founders of Mello, Daniel Woods and Giuliano Cameroni about the future of climbing media. Every generation needs its inspiration, and Mello is here to provide. I'm Alex Honnold. I'm Fitz Cahal. This is Climbing Gold. Wait a minute. Quick time player file, new audio recording word. Yeah, nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Da Daniel already <laughs> failed his uh, audio recording backup. <laughs> I did. <laughs> yeah, so. So. Oops. Yeah, Juliana, did you hit record? Yep. Are the numbers running up? Uh, so there's like a red dot. There's yep. no numbers. There's like a... Yeah, click on the red dot and you should see numbers going up. Okay, it's going now. Word. Yeah, for, for people that run a uh, media platform, I'm like, you know, I'd expect a little bit more tech savvy, but. <laughs> Actually, me, we just climb, really. Um, I make I make videos, but that's it with the computer stuff. Yeah, apparently uh, not with QuickTime, but. Mm, not really. I use the iMovie, so. <laughs> yeah, nice, nice. <laughs> 
My name is Daniel Woods. I'm from Boulder, Colorado. Um, my name is Giuliano um, Cameroni. I'm from Switzerland. 33 years old, been climbing for the last 28 years. I'm 25 years old and I've been climbing for almost all my life. I started basically at two years old, so. Predominantly a boulder. Um, I also sport climb though. I'll probably do some more sport climbing this year. And yeah, just been climbing ever since I was five years old. Haven't gotten bored of it yet. My parents were into sport climbing. And then when I was born, my dad started bouldering. So since the very beginning, I've been bouldering. So what is Mellow? Mellow is basically a climbing media platform, uh, which we want to host a bunch of climbing media from around the world. And basically how it all began was about five years ago or something. Um, I was on a trip to Spain and Sean Rabatou, Giuliano Cameroni, they met me to climb. And we were basically just like discussing like, uh, there's, there's really no like media platform in the climbing industry where we can host a lot of hardcore climbing videos. Platforms have tried in the past, like DPM climbing, uh, momentum VM, uh, stuff like that. Yeah. I remember (laughs) that. Yeah, I, I do too. And Mo dump, I think was a popular one. Um, but just after a while, things phased out. And so all those media platforms died out. And so there was really nothing. And I like personally, I'm not interested in creating my own YouTube channel, just because that puts a lot of pressure to like, deliver a lot of material on a weekly, monthly basis, you know, so we got together and we're like, Hey, let's just create a platform where we could put our personal videos on, but we could also reach out to climbers around the world and see what they're up to and host their videos on our channel. And so how, how do you know the, uh, the rest of the Mellow crew? So I met Sean uh, when I was 15 in Magic Wood with his family. So Yeah, so Sean Rabatou was born to two former world champions. His mom <laughs> is still a high-end coach. Both of his parents crush. His sister is a climbing Olympian. So I think it's fair to say that Sean has always had you know, climbing in his, in his, in his genes. I hate to say that though, because he also has just climbed his entire life. He's climbed hard his entire life. He's tried really hard, but, uh, but it certainly must help that everyone in his family is a complete bone crusher. (laughs) I wonder if his grandparents send. And then when I was 19, I was in Colorado. And then there he told me this idea of Mello. And, uh, two years later, when he talked to Daniel and Jimmy about this, then it started out. Like for the first few years, we were like, oh, this is really cool. But for so we were just filming, but nothing really happened. But the idea was there for sure. And then it started, I guess, in when was that? Beginning 2019, maybe? Yeah, because rem- remember, we did that Spain trip and you guys came to Margalef to hang out with me and... I'd say like we polished up the idea there. 2018, then, maybe. That yeah, was, yeah, 2018, 20, yeah, 2018. That's crazy. The mellow videos have only existed for three or four years because already they feel almost time. Like I feel like they've always existed. Sort of, sort of like uh, the dosage videos or something, where you're just like, "Oh, mellow, it's <laughs> yeah. always been around." I'm like, I can't believe it's only been three or four years. No, nah, it's still pretty baby. Yeah, four <laughs> years. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Could both of you guys each describe the other members of Mellow and what each person's role is, like what, what everybody does within Mellow? I guess me, Daniel, and Jimmy are mostly climbing. And then Sean is doing more like the clothing 
well, he's also obviously climbing, but um, he also has a, he's doing the clothing like kind of by himself. Sean is the the head of uh, head of retail or whatever, <laughs> or like yeah. he's, he's so a merchandising Sean, guy. Sean, Sean's like CEO of Mellow. Yeah, oh, yeah. because yeah, because he <laughs> he's like he studied this business and he's the only one that did that. So did he Sean, has the did Sean the go ability. to school? Yeah, yeah. So he has the he, didn't, he didn't no no but he, like a semester I, as soon as he knew <laughs> I guess as soon as he knew how to handle mellow he was like well fuck school now <laughs> right he kind of went there Basically, just to, yeah. to understand how to run mellow and then when he got it he he dropped the school i guess classic so so sean is the ceo of mellow basically so he, even yeah. though he didn't graduate <laughs> yeah. school and he's not actually the ceo <laughs> <laughs> but it's fine for us that, that's like uh that's like getting me to build you a bridge even though i only did one year of engineering school yeah. before i dropped out to live in my car and be like oh you know i'm sure i still remember some calculus i'm sure it's fine it's gotta work <laughs> yeah yeah i'm sure just add more bricks just make it solid but, <laughs> sure Sean's good though. I think we all stay in pretty good communication with each other though about like if Sean has ideas, he runs it by us and stuff like that. Yeah, of course. It's uh, when it comes down to it, like it's a a collaboration uh, between all four of us to make video decisions, some product decisions, all that. But Sean definitely arranges it and and has the like... He does the um, most work. Out, for outsourced sure. the the brand to make the shirts and getting in contact with graphic yeah, designers yeah. to print what he wants on the shirt and stuff like that, and then ordering the short the shirts and stuff, all that kind of stuff. So, and honestly, we we're all all of us were like, yeah, it's cool because we don't want to do that, and if you're <laughs> motivated to do that, then go for it. That it's <laughs> it's normal. You have he has a bigger percentage because it makes sense like that. Yeah, because he's yeah. actually doing the hard work. That sounds like the worst work of, of everything you guys are doing. <laughs> yeah. Like, like contacting manufacturers and like ordering product. You're like, that sounds terrible. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So we were kind of like, cool. We'll go climb. You'll do this. Totally. Yeah. Awesome. And Giuliano, Jimmy, and myself, we all kind of do a similar role. You know, I think Jimmy and Jimmy and Giuliano, they do a lot more filming and video creation than I do for sure. Um, but then our goal is we all climb, we all get videos to host on Mellow um, so we can add value to the channel so people get stoked to come and watch what we create, yeah. you know? And also we don't, we, we've never judged any of us because we haven't done enough or, you know, like we've always uh, been super easy because we've always known that the other could do whatever he can. So we've never been like, hey, do this or whatever. Maybe I have to write like Sean like five times to get that that video, but I'm never gonna be like fuck you, you know. Like that's not a thing. So we there's a very good friendship, which is the base of things, and so we go uh, above that. And then yeah, Sean is the only person who never responded to these group text at all <laughs> so like hey we're gonna do an interview about mellow it's like complete silence from sean you're like whatever like Sh-. so that's no- that's normal oh, yeah. uh we all we all experience the same thing so <laughs> that's fair what uh what what do you guys think defines a mellow video well for for one we want to make sure like the filming is well done you know like 
showing the action of the climber, following the climber, really capturing the moment. So when the viewer is watching it, they can feel like they're climbing with that climber. Uh, good music, you know, get, set the tone and then mix in some lifestyle stuff at the same time. Skateboarding? Yeah, so there's that YouTube channel, Thrasher Magazine, for skateboarding. And we all skateboard as well and follow that channel. And we were kind of like, oh, let's kind of try to create the Thrasher for climbing, you know, and kind of incorporate that vibe into what we're doing. But obviously, skateboarding lifestyle is way different than climbing. So we were like, oh, mellow. Climbers are a little bit more mellow, you know, we're not like... We're not like getting busted by the cops and destroying public property and all that kind of stuff. We're, we're more out in the woods, you know, like hanging out with just our friends and try, we're respecting nature and stuff like that. But, but we also can rage a little bit when we climb. And is that what the name comes from? Just mellow, like chill vibes? So that name came from Sean. He threw out the name mellow one day and we we're like, oh yeah, that's cool. Like, yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll roll with it. But it wasn't, yeah. It, yeah, I guess first it was vibes. named 2000. That was the first <laughs> name. When when uh, when it was only me and Sean, it was 2000. That was the name. That's not as and good why, a name. And, no. And why was, why was it 2000? The idea was to like uh, the next millennium, right? Like start all over. <laughs> Which was so probably be, cool. It but... should be 3000. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- but, I think uh, uh, Mellow yeah. is a better name. <laughs> yeah, good, way Good better, work on the rebrand. Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think that the Thrasher comparison is pretty interesting. Thrasher uh, started as a magazine in the 1980s in San Francisco. Uh, it really takes off in the 1990s. Skateboarding is at this point where it could kind of go more corporate, right? There are the X Games and the Dew Tour. Money is coming into the sport. The world is like kind of interested in extreme sports in general, and it's getting beamed into people's cable boxes. And Thrasher <laughs> is the total opposite of corporate. It's rowdy. It's rude. Its voice is very zero Fs given. If ESPN is trying to be one side of the coin, Thrasher is very defiantly holding down the other side of that coin. And it shows this very real side of skate culture versus the manicured one, the the competitive side. Um, And Thrasher becomes a global brand. But it's interesting in the sense that even though it's this global brand, the subscription base is like never really much higher than 100,000 people, you know, by like modern standards of TikTok and YouTube algorithms. We don't, we wouldn't think that that's that much. Uh, But Thrasher mattered. Right. And it still matters because it was and is able to synthesize the feeling of skateboarding. And maybe the X Games grew the sport, but but Thrasher is what sustained it, what carried it into other generations. Yeah, it's like maintaining the core. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking about that with with Melo. It's like the antidote to uh, to the Olympics. Actually, I was thinking because skateboarding is in the Olympics for the first time last year or two years ago, the same as climbing. You're sort of like. Oh, it is interesting. And then I was just thinking the parallels with mellow versus Olympic climbing, because it's basically the same sorts of people, like the same quality of climbers. Like the people in mellow videos are the same caliber who could be competing in the Olympics, but they they generally aren't. Then I was like, how funny that Sean Rabatou is 
you know, a founder of Mellow and then his sister is one of, you know, the, the, the first climbing Olympians. And you're sort of like, oh, it's like two different branches on the family tree. Explain to me a little bit about the structure. So the four of you guys started it and you're basically hosting a media platform. But then how do you choose which videos go on the platform? And because uh, some of the videos aren't you guys, you know, they're like random people from around the world made by other mm -hmm. filmmakers. Like, how do you choose who gets hosted on Mellow and, and, you know, like what videos are cool enough for the Mellow platform? Good question. If the climb is really hard, even if the video is not the best, we can maybe throw it out. But if the climb is not like top notch, then it's got to be high quality video. So it's got to have a certain standard of quality, but if the climb is really hard, then that's that's a good point to throw it out. Yeah, that is something that I would consider a defining feature of Mellow videos is that they're surprisingly good cinematography. Like they they look nice. Like the 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 quality of the the videos is very high, which I think separates it from a lot of other sort of free online climbing content, where it's just somebody's iPhone or something you know, shot like from the back of some cave and it's all dark and you can't quite get the right angle. Yeah, that <laughs> shit like... we don't publish even if it's really hard because <laughs> if you don't see what's going on, then it's quite pointless to watch. Like me, I can't watch a it's climb. Instagram worthy. Yeah, not even basically because if you can't, yeah. if it's just a tripod, it's um, it's very disturbing to watch an uncut from far away. Like you can't see the holes. There's mm -hmm. nothing that's really going on. But most people just do that, but it takes so little to grab a camera and follow the climber that you make mm -hmm. it look so much better. Yeah, we're trying to also, the goal with bouldering is to stay away from those like dark, muggy looking caves. Like we're trying, our goal is to find like beautiful boulder problems as well and showcase those and try to put an image uh, of bouldering out there that's like, oh, we're like, it's, it's more about like the beauty and the movement of the climb rather than just having it be like the next hardest thing out there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, uh, whereas like there's a lot of climbers that will just go out and be like, Oh, let's climb out of this grungy hole, you know? And, <laughs> and then you're like, uh, how are we going to film this? And I'm not really inspired to fly across the world to go try this grungy hole boulder. So. <laughs> <laughs> the grungy hole boulder. Actually. So, so my other favorite mellow video, speaking of the beauty of the movement and things is, uh, I forget the guy's name, Elijah, whatever, climbing the crazy thing in the south with uh, oh, with like yeah, the brain yeah. slopers. I forget the name of yeah. the problem, but it's like V14 or something. Um, levity. Yeah, levity with the insane dino thing with the 360 spin and then the perfect like yeah. him looking at the camera. And and whoever yeah. the hype man, whoever's filming, who's like screaming like, let's go. And you're like, oh, my God, it's all totally insane. But it's like an insane 360 <laughs> move. It's the kind of thing that would be hard to even set in a gym. And then to see someone actually execute that outside, you're like, whoa, that's climbing. Like, is yeah. that for real? Like, that's, <laughs> it's a. Uh... But so the question about that film is like you know, like who filmed that and like, how did that wind up on Mellow? You know, like if that's not your friend, it's not a problem that you're trying. Like, how does that wind up coming to Mellow? So a big thing that we do, uh, like I'm on, I'm on Instagram a lot, like following a bunch of climbers around the world and kind of seeing what they, what they're sending out there, you know? And if I see something cool that goes down, I'll, I'll contact them and be like, Oh, did you film this by any chance? And if they did, I'd be like, oh, would you be interested in putting it on Mellow? And they'll send us the video that they put together and then we'll watch it. And then Jimmy, Giuliano, Sean and Jimmy, we all watch it and basically give it a yay or nay if we want to throw it on the channel. 
So we're actually, and especially Giuliano and I were actively reaching out to, to the climbers and, and trying to get that, uh, that footage from them. I mean, it's interesting that, uh, that if you scroll through the mellow channel, you can basically find the beta for most of the hardest boulder problems in the world. It seems like (laughs) totally. Yeah. And that's kind of our goal too, is like, if you have a media platform where you can host all the hardest climbs in the world, you know, people can go and be like, Oh, I'm going to watch this video. And hopefully that inspires them to go to that place, you know, and try it. And then there's all the, the uh, beta and stuff laid out for them. So yeah. It's like the uh, next generation of 8a.nu, you know, it's uh, yeah. <laughs> you have all the beta in one place, <laughs> all the locations, it's like the whole, the whole database with, uh, with moving pictures. You're like, this is amazing. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> That's funny. So when did you guys start selling Mellow merch? I asked because, uh, because Sonny, my wife, has, uh, has tried to get a Mellow sweatshirt a couple times and they've been sold out because they all sell out like instantly. <laughs> and she's like, I want my Mellow sweater because, uh, oh. And we, <laughs> last year, or the year before, she was bouldering a bunch with these two uh, really strong teenage kids in Vegas who were yeah. huge Mellow fans. Tight. And uh, she was like, oh, I want I want a sweater so she could rep with her with her little bouldering buddies. But then uh, they're really hard to get. It's like you guys have all this like limited edition merch. Like what's the, what's, <laughs> what's the deal with that? That was the, Sean's idea of keeping it kind of exclusive and like, special. Not, not that everyone can get it because it's we don't make so many. Yeah, my poor wife. She's still still trying to get her sweater. <laughs> but I guess that the last drops they've made more. Huh? I don't know if yeah. they sold out that instantly because there were more items. Mm-hmm. Like at the beginning, we had drops with fifty t-shirt, like four colors, so two hundred total. That was it. But later on, it was like a thousand. What's the fine line between cool down home videos? that all feature sponsored athletes versus full-on sponsored sort of commercial videos that are paid for by a sponsor. You know what I mean? Like, because the mellow videos mm-hmm. all feel totally real. It's just like dudes going bouldering. Yeah. But then they're also, you know, commercial videos and, and, you know, we each have done things like this for sponsors or like for, spe- you know, advertising a pad or, you know, specific things where like, we're doing a shoot for this specific reason. Yeah. And, you know, those are, basically the same thing where it's like professional athlete going out and doing the thing that they that they do best but somehow they have a totally different feel you know and and the mellow videos i mean what what you keep calling the vibe it's like you guys really maintain that (laughs) that that lifestyle that you just don't really find in in like branded pieces i mean do you guys think about that or like how do you how do you maintain that separation i mean i think we all have we've grown up in the way things are have been filmed in the past and stuff where climbs are all chopped up and it's going to like some hardcore dubstep music. And I don't know, you're just like, I watch, I would watch climbing videos in the past, even ones that I was in and just be like, uh, these aren't that inspirational, you know, it's, so I, I guess it's just having that image in your head of like what you want to see out of something and then just doing it and finding the right people that are willing to also, have that similar vision to yours, you know, or finding people that have a different vision that you just, you vibe with, you know, you're like, Oh, cool. That person's an up and coming videographer. They're talented. They're not going to film it, film something in a very chopped up, weird commercially way. They're going to, they're going to make this a raw experience, you know, and then latch onto them and let them do their thing. So when I was 20 years old, I had the VHS tape of rampage, which I watched 
uh, over and over, probably till the point where it wore it out. But uh, I'm curious, like, whether there were climbing films like that for you when when you were growing up. Oh, yeah. I mean, dosage, dosage one, dosage three, dosage five. Free Waco was cool to watch. Uh, Rampage. I watched Rampage a lot. I mean, a, a lot of the videos from back in the day, I, I I went through and watched on a daily basis. And those the, those climbers that were in those videos were my icons. You know, I was like, oh, I want to climb like James Litz. I want to climb like Chris Sharma and climb like Dave Graham and go out there and just try to replicate what they're doing in the video. Do you guys have you know, drives like tons of saved footage of projects that you've been working on forever, but nobody's actually finished. So you haven't been able to turn it into a film necessarily, but you have a lot of footage from previous years of like working on projects. Yeah. Me personally, no. <laughs> but you must have unfinished projects all over now. Oh, I mean, projects that I'm motivated to go do. Yeah. Like I'm in two weeks, I, I'll go meet up with Giuliano and go there with Jimmy and we're going to go try Alfane and some other climbs in Switzerland. And obviously we'll film what we do out there and stuff like that. And then that'll turn into a mellow video. So I'd say like every trip that I'll go, that I'll do this year into the future, uh, my plan is to get a videographer to come or we'll, if I'm with Giuliano or Jimmy or Sean, we'll film each other. And the goal is to make a mellow video out of it. Mm -hmm. do, does it ever feel like a lot of pressure that you guys are filming all the attempts? Do you ever want to just try by yourself with, with no extra pressure? You know, especially if it's right on the edge and, <laughs> and you just keep failing or something and it starts to feel, you know, sometimes that feels more like a burden than, than, than a joy. You know, we were like, I just can't do this and everybody's watching and I just fail over and over. Yeah, I think nowadays I just don't even think of it that way. I mean, to be fair, climbing is my lifestyle, but also my job. So I kind of have that in, in, I put that into perspective and be like, well, if I didn't like being filmed, then I wouldn't have a job. So, and that's why it's also key to like half the people I'm climbing with that are, or the people that I'm climbing with and I'm filming with are my friends too. So it's not annoying. Like if I were to work with a videographer that was really pushy and being like, oh, can you repeat this real quick? Can you do this, do this, do this? I'm like, yo, I'm just trying to send right now. Like, like, let me be. Then A, I wouldn't work with that person anymore. And yeah, that would be stressful. I wouldn't like that. But in the general scheme of things, like most people that I've worked with are my friends and I don't even notice they're there. I'm just doing my thing. They do their thing. And then I just trust they're going to capture it. I feel the same. Like, I don't feel any pressure when someone else is filming or if we're filming all the time. But for instance, like this week, really, I had something I wanted to do. And I had the idea of making a video with someone that makes videos. And that thing fucked with me so much that I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't climb well. And then I said, well, this is not the way. Like, I got to go climb and then... If I do the thing, I can make a video out of it. But if I go climb for the video, it, it's super fucked. So I, I cannot realize that there is no such thing as climbing for a video or for someone else. Otherwise, you limit your experience so much because you're doing it for something. And so you put so much pressure on yourself. And at the beginning, I thought, oh, it's cool. Like I'm going to make this video. 
I'm going to do this thing. I feel close. But then I was like, no, maybe I'm not so close, you know, like, and now I want to do this video. <laughs> no, no more video. <laughs> <laughs> Too stressful. So that's how I was with uh with soloing videos for you know most of my life. I mean, obviously the film Free Solo is a notable exception, but most of the time you just go and you do the thing you want to do, and then you go back and film on it later if you want to. Yeah, you know, but like first you do the climb. crazy, so you have to go back and repeat sections. Well, solo most style. most of the things that I've soloed, yeah, I just went back to after. <clears throat> I mean, obviously free soloing El Cap, we shot the the real thing, but that was like years in the making. Yeah. But um, but like everything I'd done with the the sender guys before and everything was mostly just posed later. Yeah. Where you just like go and shoot the the key pitches again. Wow. Wow. Well, then then it actually almost makes it more impressive because it means all the things that you see that are kind of messed up are the things that I'm choosing to do because they're not that messed up compared to the things that are actually messed up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because all the stuff that you're seeing footage of is like, oh, well, this is the part that isn't that scary because I'm choosing to do it again for a camera. You know? I see, um, I see. Wow. Yeah, it's like, because there, there are always some parts that you're like, well, I'm not doing that again for a camera. <laughs> you're like, there's no way. Yeah. You're like, I'll do that for myself, <laughs> by myself, but, uh, you know, there's no way I'm going to do it again just for work, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's totally fair. Whew. Still, though. Even repeating those easier sections, not an easy task. Yeah, yeah. Made well, for you. Well, like, well, like you said, I mean, uh, you know, if you're a professional climber and that's all you have to do for work, you know, you're like, it's not the true. worst work. <laughs> you're like, it's like way better than any other job. No, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Daniel, how long have you been climbing professionally for at this stage? So I, I gauge being professional off of like, I'm making enough money to survive on my own. Um, it's my, like, I can live off this. So I'd say at age 16, I, I lived kind of like a poor person, but I could live on my own, you know, I could make it work and travel. So since I was 16. This mellow period, you know, from an outsider's perspective, it seems like this chapter of your career uh, it might be the most fun that you've been having. Is that, is that the case? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, like I kind of realized too, uh, I'm getting older now and there comes a time where you're not an athlete you're n anymore. You know, you're, you're going to work on other projects into the future that don't necessarily revolve around what you're doing, but you can at least have a presence in those projects to help that next generation come up and, and have success, you know? So I think mellow is just a great outlet because I'm working with my friends. Like I said, I don't have a personal YouTube. So there's not that constant pressure for me to go out and just have to always have material. I can work with people that takes the pressure off. So it allows me to just to do what I want when I want, you know? And when you have that mentality, you can go out and ha have more fun, you know, and not be like, Kind of like what Giuliano was saying before. He's like, oh, I'm like, I need to make a video now, you know? And that got into his head and kind of screwed him up. Like, I'm glad that I don't have, like, I don't have to go on trips and always perform now, you know? In the past, I kind of had that where it was like, oh, we're going on this trip. I need to do something cool and have it be filmed well so I can continue having a job, you know? <laughs> where it... <laughs> mm -hmm. So now, yeah, Mellow just takes a lot of pressure off. And and I believe in the image behind it. And I believe 
what it's going to do for the climbing community. And it's, it's a way to give back and be like, and inspire people. The question when you say that you, you feel like you have to perform or you won't have a job. So I was just having this conversation with Jonathan Segrist <laughs> about yeah. the fact that athlete managers in the outdoor industry, it's not like they actually know anything about climbing grades <laughs> or climbing performance. Yeah. So the reality is that no matter how much pressure you put on yourself, there's rarely anybody else actually putting pressure on you because they don't really know what you're doing anyway. True. And the, the conversation that, that Jonathan and I were having was that you know, I would consider myself like an elite rock climber, you know, I'm like in the top small percent of climbing. Yeah. And I don't really understand the difference between V14 and V17. You know, to me, those are all just like insanely hard. Yeah. And I've still spent my entire <laughs> life rock climbing. I'm kind of like for somebody who works in an office, like, do they know the difference? You know what I mean? Like, like if you're flashing V12 or sending V14 or doing a new 16, it's like to the average person, they honestly can't tell any difference between those three things. You know what I mean? It's, it's all just like insanely hard. They know views, they look at views you're getting on your videos, likes you're getting on your Instagram or whatever other social media outlet you're a part of. So that's what they get. Yeah. But the interesting thing about that, though, is that the number of views you get, the number of likes, like none of those are really connected to how hard, like how cutting edge a climb is. Oh, no. Totally. So you wind up with this weird disconnect between pure elite rock climbing performance yeah. and actually being good at your job, you know, quote unquote. That's kind of the struggle that we're seeing nowadays is like you can be an influencer. You're not even at the cutting edge of your sport. But as long as you're influencing well and getting a lot of the views, you're going to get paid more than the person who's actually going out and pushing the limits of their sport. Um, and I think we've seen that a ton, you know, and it's like, that's kind of what frustrates me because like what you're saying is the people that run these outdoor companies that have no idea what their athlete actually does. And so I can say I just established a new V16. They'd be like, cool. How many views did your video get? And you're like, okay. <laughs> like, I don't, I mean, does that matter? You know, like I just did one of the hardest boulders in the world, but they don't get it. Mm -hmm. Actually, you came up in our conversation because I was like, since we're both sponsored by the North Face, it's kind of like, you know, most people working in the North Face would just assume that because we're both professional climbers on the same team that we could probably climb about the same. And I'm like, no, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like we couldn't be more different as climbers. Like, you know, I can't boulder yeah, any opposite. of the things. Yeah, exactly. Like I can't do any of the things that you can do. And and, and and actually, you can't really do any of the things that I like to no. do. And it's like we're completely <laughs> never, different. <laughs> yeah, I, it's like, I would never even <laughs> attempt anything that you do yeah but then i can't even pull <laughs> off the starting holds of any of the things that you're doing and so you know i can't even like yeah. establish on the boulders and so you're kind of like it's like completely different sports but i think to yeah. the to the lay person it's kind of like oh they're both professionals they're both climbing hard it's all the same they're just hard rock climbers and you're like dude but it, <laughs> but so i think there's an interesting conversation around you know when you're at the cutting edge of a sport like how do you mm -hmm. and i suppose really that's what mellow is all about is is showing that cutting edge which exactly actually and, and I suppose I do really respect that that you guys have a cutoff that you basically just don't show easy boulders <laughs> like you only show the really really hard stuff because yeah it's it's like if you're gonna go watch a snowboard film or a skateboard film it's gonna be the best people in the world doing it you know and even if you're amateur like no one knows your name yet you're still doing some cool shit and getting hosted on on that channel and that's what we want to do with mellow too is like we also want to go out to the people who maybe don't have a name yet you know, but they do some really impressive stuff 
and showcase them on mellow. So you don't have to have like a big name to be on mellow. You just have to do some cool shit out there, film it well. And that's hopefully you're into maybe having more stuff fall into play for yourself later on down the road. Oftentimes in sports, um, the older generation will always have comments about the current state of the sport and the, the people playing it, the people living it. They'll say like X, Y, and Z is wrong or or they'll they'll sort of act like the, the young generation can't live up to its potential. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a byproduct of, of older people's pain of just s- slowly sucking, right? You know, <laughs> uh, they become critical because they can't. This sport... It does belong to the youth, to those who are doing it right now. Mm-hmm. And I think Mellow is awesome. Instead of, of, of having something go through companies or a brand or, say, National Geographic, like no, no offense to Free Solo, it was great, but you guys get to decide what is cool. Totally. And do, and do you think you guys are kind of like providing an answer? Like as, as climbing gets more mainstream, more there's more mainstream media interests, do you think Mellow is your way of keeping it core core. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think to have something be successful within the industry, you need to take the veterans and you need to take the younger generation and both those uh, generations need to get along and the veterans need to see that new school style that the, that the younger generation's bringing and respect that. And then the younger generation needs to also see what the veterans did and respect that. So when you get that mutual respect between each other, then you guys, then you can go with each other um, far off and create something very powerful. That's core and genuine. And yeah, it's whenever the ego starts getting in the way of things and someone's like, I need control of this. I need to run this. This is how it's done. Then that way can work for a bit, but it's not going to be, it's not going to have longevity to it. So I'm not that much older than Giuliano and Sean, but I have Sean by a decade. Um, So I I view Sean as like the younger generation. Giuliano is also a little bit younger than me. And I'm like almost the same as Sean. Yeah. Just one year older. So like when I'm seeing, when when I'm looking at Sean and Giuliano and uh, when I see these kids coming up and pushing the limits of the sport and yeah, they might be, they're climbing better than I am right now. Instead of being like, oh, like let's push them away because I need to be the best. Instead of doing that, it's like being inspired by what they're doing and being like, oh, let's work together to like create something powerful with each other, you know, something that's going to hopefully go on in time as being legend, you know? I agree. And I think like some people, like some young guys that especially they do competitions now, they have a crazy power that we don't have. Like only rock climbers, they don't have that stuff. It's like the <laughs> the gym, pure gym power. So I think that can be integrated to rock as well. And that's when you said um, <laughs> they have to learn from us and we learn from them. So if there's no ego in the way, then we'll just learn from each other. And then that's great because that they are as well, like they are super psyched to learn how to rock climb. Be, maybe they've been in the gym only. They're really good, but they haven't had, had the chance to go outside yet. But they're psyched to come and and session projects and everything. So, who who are some examples of of really really strong gym climbers who just haven't climbed outdoors that much like that? I was just with the Adidas uh, team in Ticino. We had a camp, and 
like especially Mesh D and Max. Those guys. What uh, what's their last name? I'm like, do I know them? Um, they're like doing competition. They're Mesh D is 18. I think Max is 22. Hmm. But they all got this crazy gym style, and uh, like Brooke and Yanya, they're they're on another level on on rock as well. So they're super light. They can yeah they can put feet really high. So it's actually we were trying a project with Will and Majdi, Max, and Brooke, and she did the move before anyone else, like the crux move, <laughs> and easily. It's like a it's like a, a powerful boulder too. It's just like a high foot and boom, she did it. Like <laughs> we were like, what the fuck? <laughs> She's like way better than all of us together. Um, so yeah, I think uh, also maybe girls have not been in the outdoor bouldering scene as much because well, they haven't put up boulders just because maybe they ha- haven't got the the chance to. But if we take... Uh, strongers with us, they they can do some crazy shit that we can probably not do, or we can climb at the same level, definitely. So that's really cool, I think. So so what um what do you guys see as Melo's role in the broader climbing community? I think we can inspire so many people, and we did already. Like there's so many people like around yeah. here in Switzerland or Italy that they're actually developing a lot of areas and it's just right after Melo started basically. And they all say they're like, and also young people like 19 or 20 years old, they come to me and say, because of Melo, I've started being psyched and climb and clean and train or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I guess the bouldering community definitely um, felt the Melo psych. How does that feel though to to run a media platform that's in a lot of ways very countercultural and very, you know, anti-authority and all that, but then to be an inspiration or a role model or whatever. I mean, you know, I mean, Daniel, how do you feel about being a role model? Like, you know, you have a, you have a neck tattoo, you know? <laughs> so, you know. Wow. <laughs> um, no, I, I love being a role model. That's a good position to be in. I mean, I, I was definitely, I think in the, when I was younger, I was a little more like, fuck everything i'm just gonna do my thing and don't really care what people think of me and stuff like that but older i'm getting older now i'm like 33 now so uh and yes i got a neck tattoo (laughs) which doesn't mean i'm a gang member or anything like that (laughs) um just adding some spice to myself and into the climbing world but no I, i think it's i i like my goal for what i do and the older that i get kind of like Juliana was saying, it's like, I want to inspire that next generation to live the lifestyle that I've lived, you know, and be able to go out into the mountains, explore for new, explore new boulders, repeat test pieces that, um, hardcore climbers from the past have put up stuff like that. Just give them a purpose to live and using mellow, we can kind of do that because we can provide that inspiration that they're looking for. I mean, even for myself, I'll watch mellow videos and then go to the gym and try hard or I'll, I'll watch the videos and go try my outdoor project. So it, it even gives me inspiration to, to keep pushing myself. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. actually going to the gym right after this also and I'm all fired up. I'm like, I can't wait to get a session <laughs> on the board. I'm all psyched. Yeah. Hell yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Thanks team Mello for chatting and being up for the laughs. You can find Mello on Instagram and YouTube at Mello Climbing. Check them out. We've also thrown up a few of the videos we referenced in the show notes. Climbing Gold is a production of Duct Tape Then Beer. Alex Honnold is our host. Today's episode was edited by Marco Seiler Gonzalez and me, Fitzka Hall. Additional editing and sorcery by Evan Phillips, who also provided music. Additional tracks by Cloud Chord, JV and the Supermotion Hip Hop Collective, and Brendan O'Connell. Music is courtesy of Track Club or the artists themselves. Our executive producers are Jonathan Retzik and Ben Endy for RXR Sports, and Lisey Hendricks and Becca Call for Duct Tape Then Beer. Thanks for listening. Oh, man, how good was that conversation with those mellow guys? I am just so, so impressed with what they're building over there with mellow, a truly collaborative and real and, oh, no, dare I say, authentic channel featuring some of the sickest, truly most incredible cutting edge bouldering in the world. Check it all out, y'all, if you haven't. It's so good. And huge props to Alex, to Fitz, to Lisi, the whole gang over there at Climbing Gold for continuing to find, capture, and share incredibly interesting stories from off the beaten path. You can follow Alex on IG at Alex Honnold, Climbing Gold at Climbing Gold, and me at The Struggle Climbing Show. Big shout out to Fizzy Vantage, y'all, the official climbing nutrition sponsor of The Struggle. They recently released a new greens powder, so you can level up your daily nutrition, and I am telling you, it tastes great, and it is packed with amazing whole foods, nutrients, prebiotics, probiotics, and more. It's the whole thing. It's everything that you need in the morning. It's by far the best tasting and most affordable daily greens that I've ever tried. So check that out along with everything else that they make to help athletes perform at their best. Look for in Europe from the Epic TV online shop and Banana Fingers and in the US at select gyms and of course at fizzyvantage.com. Hit that link in your show notes or use code STRUGGLE15 at checkout for 15% off. And that there clips the anchors on this episode. Have y'all checked out The Struggle on YouTube? We are bringing these interviews to life, y'all, with amazing footage and key takeaways all packed into episodes that are about eight minutes each. And we're releasing two fresh videos every single week. Between that and Mellow, we got your YouTube climbing fix dialed. So swing on over to youtube.com slash at the struggle climbing show to subscribe and to see what's new. Hey, do you all know that The Struggle is carbon neutral in partnership with, who else? The Honnold Foundation. And this one's all about Alex, isn't it? Look, The Honnold Foundation is doing amazing work. You have to check it out. They're bringing clean energy to communities around the world, including, check this out, power for 15 rural Ugandan hospitals that otherwise lack electricity. How great is that? Swing by HonnoldFoundation.org to learn more, to take action, and if you can, to support with a tax-deductible donation. Thank you guys so much. And lastly, The Struggle is a proud member of the Plug Tone Audio Collective, a diverse group of the best, most impactful podcasts in the outdoor industry. Amazing shows over there. Check them all out. And this show was produced and hosted by me, Ryan Devlin. Struggle makes us stronger. Let's climb hard and do good things in the world. See y'all.